This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones, and today we'll be talking about how to create change, even if you're nowhere close to the top of your organization. Our guest today wrote a handbook about how to overcome roadblocks and really sell your idea. The book is Start Within, and the co-authors are Karen Holst and Douglas Ferguson. They'll describe how they built their careers as human-centered leaders, and they'll offer tips about how, whatever your role, you can help bring innovation to the place where you work. Karen and Douglas, it's great to have you here today, and I'm excited about your book. I um, thought that you hit a lot of important points, and I want to hear about it. But before we get into the book, Start Within, it seemed to me that a lot of the things you learned, you learned from your own experience and, and what whether it's your personal experience or perhaps later working with other people. But I would love to put the book into context by hearing from both of you, from each of you, about your own career paths. Karen, uh, you want to start and tell us a little bit about how you got to be so smart about these things? <laughs> sure. So I was co-founder of an educational technology company called My EDU, And as an entrepreneur, learned a lot about pushing ideas through an organization, but as a co-founder, had lots of authority to do that work. And after we got acquired, had a moment where I wanted to create change within larger organizations. And so I joined a year-long fellowship with the California Department of Education, where I had the eye-opening experience of uh, trying to be an entrepreneur within a state agency and trying to innovate and bring technology into the classrooms in California. And in that moment, just realized that my entrepreneurial skills were really going to serve me, but in a different way. And so I, I further honed into my skills and later on joined IDEO, an international design firm, and launching IDEOU. And beyond that, uh, got to work with Autodesk and a few other companies and, and trying to innovate within a large company. It sounds like uh, you had some interesting things, and we'll get a uh, a bit more into your lessons when we get into the book. But Douglas, how about you? How did you uh, get interested in these issues? Well, I started my career off as a software developer in the mid to late 90s and quickly got uh, thrust into the startup universe. And um, lucky I did because um, I learned a lot of interesting lessons and I was at the forefront of a lot of uh, burgeoning technology and I think one of it was my second startup, and um, I learned a, a lesson around, uh, you know, not pursuing technology for technology's sake because um, there's so much more at play. And specifically nowadays, we call that user experience. We didn't have those words back back then, but uh, but 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 we had an, uh, a competitor that came along and kind of kind of taught us that we have to care deeply about the users and, and the market matters. And so there's a lot of factors at play outside of the technology, which kind of started to shape my career as I as began to to get more into leadership and these things. So uh, a, a history of, of running and starting um, 
many startups and, and then most recently launching my own company and um, just to help other people, uh, whether they be corporates that are wanting to, to borrow some of these uh, tactics and, and learnings from, from the startup world or, or mentoring and advising other startups as well. Well, I am impressed, uh, uh, first with the depth of understanding you both have about these issues, but also the act of collaborating on writing a book. I just finished my second book, just sent the manuscript off to the publisher last month. And it's complicated enough to write a book by yourself, but I, the collaboration um impress me. You guys really must know how to work with stakeholders. Tell me how you decided to co-author a book and how did you stay organized as you uh, work together? Congratulations on, on getting your manuscript out. I'd, I'd like to just first address that. It's no, it's, it's no easy feat. And having just recently gone through it ourselves, I, I can empathize with it. The, um, Collaborating, it's so interesting. Writing this book taught so much about um, you know, working asynchronously and working virtually all during a time, you know, before April COVID and everything that's going on right now during the pandemic. Um, that you know, it was such a valuable lesson early on. And, you know, I think it's paid forward as we as we continue to work together. Uh, you know, the story of how we met each other, Douglas uh, writes about innovation and does a lot of this work and has a series that he writes on and had reached out to me and we had a conversation. And after the interview, I, I was immediately, you know, <laughs> he and I think very similarly in that, you know, being able to do this work that it's, it's often locked up in, um, you know, terms like innovation or even the word entrepreneurship has a lot of baggage and that it's really not about that. It's it's more about launching new ideas and and having impact. And so we we were immediately connected on that and and decided let's let's go forward and write this together. And so we you know it does require getting organized up front. And it was interesting because part of what we write about in the book, you know, it's structured in a way that you know up front you need to get your idea organized. And so we were able to really pull information from the book and use it in practice to, to collaborate on the book together. I'll also add that the the content that we're even writing about that we feel so strongly about that, you know, our philosophies around this work is deeply rooted in collaboration and prototyping. And so the, 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 the simple nature of the fact that we believe these things and we work in this way set, definitely set us up for success. And, and I will say that it's uh, <laughs> when I first started uh, uh, kicking around the idea uh, of, of whether or not um, it made sense to do this, because, you know, at first, Karen and I were just kind of exploring whether, whether I should join, join with her on this effort or not. And I reached out to a good pal of mine, Jake Knapp, who is a New York Times bestseller, and he had co-authored a book. And he told me, he's like, if you can write the book alone, you should totally do it alone because it's so much harder, you know, because you have the added extra efforts around the coordination and stuff. And and I kind of sat with that for a moment and and, and thought about it. And, it. and it really struck me that, you know, I've spent my whole life talking about collaboration and working better together. And um, if I can't if I can't do this as a collaboration, then I don't know if I want to do it at all. <laughs> and so, so it, um, I I can say I, it was uh, I, it was the right decision, and, and definitely in, enjoyed it all along the way. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I I was intrigued 
at how you must have been collaborating as I was reading the book and listening to kind of the voice that seemed uh, like you were very much in sync. So the book, Start Within, is um, sort of a handbook, I guess, for a, a process, which we might call Start Within. Can you, um, and maybe uh, we'll start again with Karen and Douglas, you can uh, elaborate. Can you give us an idea, just quickly, an overview of uh, kind of the basics of Start Within, and then we'll get into some more details. Sure. So Start Within is definitely focused on the doer of the organization. There's so much incredible work out there about innovation, culture, and you know the leadership approach to bringing innovation into an organization, and very important you know, research and work on that. But it leaves the doers, the people actually trying to push new ideas through an organization, left empty-handed. So a big part of our approach in this book is creating the playbook for the doers. And we are both, Douglas and I, have a background and are deeply rooted in design thinking. But our belief is actually that the process to do this work will mostly fit within the organization you're already living and breathing within. There's processes in both formal and informal already in place. And we talk about and teach how to find those and, and do this work through existing processes. So you're not trying to come in and you know do a whole organizational change management moment. You're instead just focused on your idea. And you know, all of that, you know, looking at it from that perspective allowed us to break it up into three sections. And so it's very similar to, I, I run from marathons and it's very similar in, in training for a race. You have the very early stages, the getting ready. And that's all about making sure the idea is ready. It's peeling back assumptions that might get in yourself or your idea's way. And also, you know, any assumption that you might be rooted in around your organization and the company that you work at and how that idea could move forward. And then it's also about getting yourself and your idea ready and organized. So we touched a little bit on how we got to use some of that in the, you know, writing the book together, but each chapter has an activity that you can do alone or that you could bring to a team if you're trying to manage others to start within. And so that those are, that's some of the work that happens in that first section. The second section is get set and it's all about the process, the process of the company already in place and how you can find the moments and opportunities to push ideas through. It's also about making sure there's business alignment, that you're not you know, creating a new idea that isn't aligned with the business and objective strategies of the company you work with. And that's super important. Of course, that happens. And then finally, the getting stakeholder buy-in, something that's happening throughout this work, that you're making sure you're bringing people along, collaborating together and getting buy-in as you, you know, make your idea happen. And finally, the last section is really focused on go. It's about prototyping the idea and, and creating experiments. It's turning no into a yes as you're starting to push the idea forward. You're often getting, you know, hitting roadblocks of why this can't work. And it's also forming and leading the team to make it happen. So going beyond yourself and how do you find others to, to push this forward? And what we found that was really interesting in this work is that there are these three phases, but both in research and in our own, you know, experience, we each excel in one phase over another. So I am a go gal. I love to go start prototyping, experimenting my way forward. And having the discipline and spending more time in the get ready and get set has really taught me how to make my idea thrive. So Douglas, are you uh, similar in that you're like a go with it person or are you more of a planner? How, how do you 
see yourself fitting into the process? I think I, I will, I will, I'm kind of a chameleon (laughs) depending on like what's jumping out to me as the most problematic thing at the moment. But I think left to my own devices, I tend to be much more poised for action. Um, and, but, uh, but if I start to do those things and I realize that, "Mm, what am I doing? I have to, I have to re-steer it and, and go start planning. Um, and you know, the, the other thing that, that, that strikes me is that, um, I, I wanted to just point out to folks is, you know, it's, it sounds, it can sound like a lot, right. Um, these three phases and all these things. And, and ultimately, you know, we started the book off with this notion of the moment of truth. And so just bringing it back and grounding it to that, which is like, Hey, first we need to just take, um, take a little bit of a, a survey of kind of what's, what's around around and, and really just honor the fact that, Hey, this work is important to me and I want to go do it. That's a good starting point. And it's something when I'm coaching clients, I try to keep getting back to what's your mission here and why is it important? Um, something else that resonated with me um, and what you were both saying and also in the book is um, the way you approach problem solving. The Lately, I've been giving a lot of thought for my book and other things about the difference between work and play. And it's not that one is hard and the other's not. It's more your attitude sometimes. And and digging in and solving problems can be kind of fun and exciting, can't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we think back to childhood and some of the most joyful moments, and it's something that you worked really hard at. You know, it's uh, after months and months of practicing soccer, it's that award, you know, you, you win the game by by shooting the score. Or um, the example that I share in the book is uh, learning the backflip that I did many <laughs> a backflip where I landed on my back, knocking the wind out of me over and over all summer long. And then when I landed that official final backflip, that that moment, I, I can still feel that joy. I can still smell the pool in, in that summer that I got to do that. And, and work is very similar. You know, our brains are wired to continue to innovate. And, you know, there's an interesting story in the out in nature. There's a, a sea squirt, it's a sea mollusk, and it's born, it swims out into the world and it finds a barnacle, it attaches. And then once it's found its home, it absorbs its brain for nutrition. And as humans, we, we don't settle. We, our brains are continuously you know, evolving and being used. And that's part of what makes us so unique. And the, the idea of being able to continue to problem solve and innovate is a big part of what teaches our brain and, and allows us to grow. It is, it is exciting and, and fun, I think, for many of us. But um, what if you're leading a team, a team that perhaps is more easily discouraged by all of the roadblocks and problems. Douglas, um, you're say you're a chameleon as a leader. If you've got a great idea and you've got a team of good people, but they just find the whole prospect daunting, how, how do you get them on board? Wow. Yeah. It, it, a lot of it de- depends on first starting with understanding where that doubt and uncertainty comes from. Sometimes it's a version of change because you know they they're having to make some sacrifice since they they have some fear of this future world may make them irrelevant or it may shift their um, their experience in some way that um, 
that uh, they're just uncertain to them. And so, you know, first understanding what's going through their minds and having those conversations and and not just assuming that we know why there's pushback. Um, So understanding that first is very critical. And then also um, when we do understand that, we can start to unlock some of their shared values because we talked about that passion, that child's mind-like mode that we can get into. And really, I think there's a few things that we're tapping into. One is just this sheer creativity that's not judgmental. Like we're we're taught to judge ourselves because, you know, we're tested and – and um and and just judged incessantly and so then we learned to to judge and filter and so part of it's just turning that off for to unlock creativity and potential but there's also this enthusiasm this unbridled enthusiasm right and um and so if we can unlock that for our teams then uh, then a lot can be, be be made possible but we can't get to that unbridled enthusiasm unless we truly find out what drives and motivates people and um, what drives and motivates me is different than what drives and motivates you. But if I can understand those things and appeal to those shared values, because out of all the reasons that I might do some initiative or some change or push some idea, there's there's a, there's a whole host of, of, of justifications or reasons or outcomes that why we might be doing this. And if I can appeal to just the ones that matter to you, then you're going to be more enthusiastic and come on board with me to do those things. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash School. The book talks about how a change agent needs uh, to know how to win over people one by one. Every stakeholder has a different view, right? And there's no one way. So a big part of moving forward is focusing your attention on the stakeholders. Is that correct? Absolutely. And so we we advise you to survey the landscape so to know, um, you know, individual by individual who's going to have influence um, over decisions who has authority to make the decisions and so who, who's willing that power and who can you mobilize? Like who are the ones that can help you get things done? And it's, it's just really important to think about them out on an individual basis as well as um, a persona basis. So you can think of it in the terms of hey, we've got folks here within the organization that there's a certain archetype, right? There's um, whether it's like, you know, um, all of our sales folks that are um, that have just come out of the sales training um, are kind of behave and 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 need, have certain needs. So I might speak to them or appeal to their needs in a certain way versus people who have been around for a little bit longer. So it can be helpful to think about categorizing um, people into the buckets because they're going to have some shared values. And, and Douglas, also we talk about this 
he, he raised it very early on where we say stakeholder buy-in, that's a word and a term that we often use, but that word buy-in is, it's not the right word. We're, there is no, you're not bulldozing your idea forward. You're not trying to get everybody all in on what you're presenting. Instead, it's a, a co-collaborative experience. And even naysayers, the ones that come in with their arms crossed, shaking their head, no, this won't work. You're leaning in and learning from them. And just by virtue of doing that, you're bringing them along. So you may not completely get them all in and you know their buy-in might not feel like they're all in, but really just by doing that experience, that's part of the stakeholder buy-in you know, work that is required to, to make an idea happen. Yeah, it's like that notion of like strong beliefs loosely held is really important here too, because I'm really passionate about my idea, but I need to hold on to it loosely because if these naysayers start to point out things, flaws in my idea, I need to be willing to adapt them so that they do appear to their values and that we can we can do something that's resilient enough to, to actually have a, a, some life within inside the organization. So not becoming defensive is a really important part of the process when you're trying to create change, it can be when people are shooting at your idea, they are giving you feedback that helps you make it even better, right? So it's a kind of an iterative process as you work with person and person and group after group. Is that right? Yes. And one exercise that we talk about in the book is is using the term learning prototype. So when you call your idea, a learning prototype, it does two things, both for yourself and for the the group that you're sharing with. For the group or the person that you're interacting with, hearing that word learning means, ah, this is my opportunity to share feedback. It's not fully vetted. I don't have to point out all the problems that, you know, why this won't work. Instead, I can really lean in on teaching and, and sharing valuable feedback. Also for yourself, when you're sharing the idea, when you say learning prototype, that sets you in the mindset to actually listen and learn. So even if someone is pointing out something like, uh, you know, the font is off and you're thinking, oh, don't, don't pay attention to that. Don't worry about that. Rather than waving it off, take a note. Next time you present this idea and share it with others, either change the font or share that the font is not important at this time. But either way, the word learning really helps to open up the channels and conversation so that you are co-collaborating your way forward. And I wanted to comment on that too, because so I, I we hear that a ton where when folks are seeking feedback, they get the feedback they don't desire. And um, and my advice is always to if you're going to share something that you've created, there's a reason you're sharing it, and that might not be apparent to the person you're sharing it with. So making it clear why you're sharing it and what you hope to learn helps you premeditate your hypothesis, like what it is, like it turns it more into an experiment because you're very clear about what, what you're hoping to uncover. And it also helps compartmentalize or contextualize what you want to learn. So it's going to focus the, the person that's giving you the feedback. So they're, they're not getting distracted by things that are unimportant at this time. Very, very powerful. And if you can engage them and uh, what I think of as a pilot project. I've always loved pilot projects as a way to try something out rather than just talk about it. So if, if you can get people engaged in constructing a prototype, a learning prototype, or a pilot project, or whatever you want to call it, then all of a sudden they're on the same team as you, and you can learn together. And that can be a great way um, 
to turn resistance into collaboration, can't it? Oh, yes. One of the more recent examples that I got to experience this was uh, within a software company. And we were going to do a event all together, bringing everyone, you know, 300, 500 people together to talk about the next 10 years and creating a vision for that and the products that they they provide. And in in trying to, you know, prototype what that week-long event might look like and how we're going to interact amongst employees, you know, creating that prototype and doing that together with people, it, we could have, you know, hired a team to just create it and, and shown up and done the work. But by doing it internally and, you know, a mock agenda and then some mock images of what it might look like and doing that work, there was a lot more leaning in and excitement. So early on, the idea of this event, there was some eye rolling, some of the naysayers were, were feeling like this is going to be just like the ones in the past. How is this going to feel any different? But by bringing them in and prototyping it our way forward together, now they're, they're, they're part of the, the orchestration of everything. It's only going to be a better event. And it really did shift their minds on the value of the prototype. The thing I'll add there is the notion of a prototype versus, you know, you mentioned pilot. I also hear people talk about proof of concept and whatnot. And I, I think that um, the thing that I've noticed time and time again is that um everyone has a certain um, definition in their head of what the word prototype means. And it usually um, is fairly fixed as far as the, the granularity or the complexity of this thing. It's like once they, whatever they have, wherever they have it kind of um, set in their mind, that's what a prototype is. And I want to encourage people to really broaden that aperture and think that a prototype can be very, very simple. It could also start to get very, very complicated. And it doesn't. And so, whereas like when people talk about proof of concepts, usually that's like, you know, that's the real thing. That's like, we're just trying it out with one customer to understand. So all the nuts and bolts are moving. Whereas a prototype could be as simple as a two pound weight. If, if we're trying to answer the question of is two pounds too heavy for this task. And so really getting to like, what's the question we're trying to answer and how do we simulate the future so that we can answer it. And, and is part of it not becoming too wedded to the idea of success at every step along the way. Uh, it, it can be a long process, this change process. And some of the steps, some of the prototypes, some of the proposals might be unsuccessful, but failure is sort of part of the process, isn't it? Yes. And you want people to understand that early, early on. So the, this notion of willingness to change over time, like that's your willingness to change um, decreases over time. Whereas like when you first come out with the idea, you're much more willing and adaptable. And so the more you can learn, the sooner you can learn, the more you're going to be, um, uh, let's say, amenable to, to, to feedback. And so it's important to start that process early. Yeah. And depending how you think about failure, if, if for some people hearing a no, that feels like, you know, a full stop failure and, in doing this kind of work and in, in trying to launch a new idea within an organization, you will hear no throughout the whole process early on in the middle towards the very end when you feel like you're, you're about to you know, finish and bring it home and accepting that and recognizing that that's a new opportunity to learn from. Either that you're pivoting, you're going to take that and move it to another project, whatever the thing you are learning in each of those moments becomes is, is unique to the project and the phase that you're in. But it's just very important to go in knowing that 
what your your idea in your head, the way you set out thinking it's going to look, it will absolutely 100% not look like that at the very end. And if it does, you did something wrong. So everything that feels like a little failure might actually be a successful learning opportunity. And a lot of it is about how you you frame your your attitude and your willingness to be flexible. That that seems to be part of the process, right? Yes, it's it's everything. <laughs> you can you're if you have that if you're armed with that then, you know, the playbook of what to do can take you forward, but it, it definitely starts with yourself. Okay, so we're uh, reaching the end of our time, but I have a big open question I want to pose to each of you. I'm um, I'm always excited about uh, you know new projects, and I um, listen to folks like you, and I think, oh, you know, I want to try this out. So let's say we have some listeners out there, and they're thinking, oh, you know what, maybe that wild idea I have um, could be helpful, but. I want to start today. How would I get started with my idea? If, so, if you have, if we have a listener out there who is now inspired, they want to begin and they don't have your book yet and they don't know where to start. I'd like to ask first um, Karen and then Douglas, what's your best quick advice for somebody who's looking for a starting point when they um, just are not used to being change agents? One thing that we have the habit of doing is getting so excited about our idea that we want to go run out and tell the world and then have them embrace it and be excited and run together towards the sunset to make it happen. And that is is not how it will look. And one way to create momentum in, in this early phase is to start asking questions around your idea. So you, you may have an idea of what it looks like, but what about talking to you know leadership or, or colleagues and say, what do you think about the problem X? So not presenting the idea and the big aha thing that you're thinking about, but instead the problem that you believe it's it's trying to solve and get further knowledge around that problem and whether people are also thinking about it, there's other work in play, it's going to open up the landscape and introduce you to new ways of moving forward. That sounds good. Douglas, what about you? What's your best advice to somebody who's starting to start? You know, I, I echo a lot of what Karen has to say. And, you know, if you've already done those things um, or you're just, um, you're even having trouble doing those things and you're just kind of stuck, I think uh, doing a solid audit of like, what's holding me back? Like, why am I not taking action? And just really think long and hard about what you put on that list. And, and if it really has merit, because <laughs> a lot of times it's fear of failure Mm-hmm. Or, or just imposter syndrome. And let me tell you, like you, um, you got to move past that stuff and you just got to get started. A good advice. Some, sometimes when I'm talking with clients who got a great idea, but they're kind of afraid, I ask them, well, if you were not afraid, what would you do today? And very often they know exactly <laughs> where it is. And then if I, we talk about them acting for a day as though they were not afraid, sometimes the action leads to the end of fear. So it's um, um, a good, anything that starts you into action seems to be helpful. Well, I appreciate you joining me today. I want to mention again the whole title of the book. It's Start Within, How to Sell Your Idea, Overcome Roadblocks, and Love Your Job. And 
your website I see is start-within.com. Is there anything else people should know about the book? Yeah, it's, it's definitely meant to empower you if you're out doing this work or if you're leading teams and trying to innovate and, and innovate within the larger organization. This is an opportunity to teach leaders how to then empower their doers. So it goes on both sides of it. Great. Well, I wish you both well. I'm sure you're going to have um, fun with the book as the word spreads. And um, I think it's a great starting point for someone who wants to create change wherever they might be in an organization. Thanks much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Today we've been talking about Start Within, a handbook for creating change no matter where you are in your organization. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's career tip is that selling your idea involves letting go of your assumptions about what other people should want and understanding the impact of your proposal on each stakeholder. Thanks for joining us today. I wish you well as you keep building your resilient career. Thank you.